The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. everyone and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Barton Simmons, the director of scouting for 24-7 Sports and a contributor to CBS Sports. We are talking recruiting with signing day coming up on February 6th. Of course, most of the heavy lifting was done during the early signing period, but there are still some blue chippers who have yet to commit and some prominent schools looking to fill big holes. We'll talk about what to expect next week and look toward 2020, since that's what most teams and coaches are already doing. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so, inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage, and away we go. This week, my guest on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with signing day, the real signing day, or what is now the second signing day and is no longer the real signing day, but what is traditionally thought of as signing day a week away. I wanted to give a little preview to that, talk a little recruiting. So Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports is coming on with me to do that. Barton, thanks so much for joining me today from very cold Nashville. I know. Yeah, it's uh, I guess that's that's kind of fitting. It's 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 cold. It's winter. We're in the we're in the dredges of, of signing day build up. And, and you're right. We kind of got to start training our our mind to think of this as uh, the second signing day, the kind of the alternate signing day, because really the the bulk of the hay is in the barn. This is this class got wrapped up in a lot of cases back in December, only about 20 18 to 20 percent of the prospects remain out there but I guess to that point it, it uh, makes those remaining few guys that much more important yeah we'll bring a lot more attention to those guys L- let me ask you just from a business standpoint do you think this is good for your business listen you're just like yeah. me you know you you sort of make your living off of college football and you make your living off of college football recruiting has this alternate signing day or the early signing period that has turned this into something of an afterthought this February signing period do you think it's hurt your business? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to answer that because I think it reveals like I'm not a fan of the early signing period, but I, I, it has nothing to do with the, the business side of it. I, my, you know, our, our CEO at 24-7 Sports would probably cringe to hear me say that because it is good for business. I mean, this past December 19th, we set a record uh, for concurrent users on the site at one time um an all-time record at 24 7 sports uh there's still going to be i think plenty of interest in february for the casual fan that wants to check in and and just see now the dust is all settled where they land where they finish who the who the guys they should be excited for are and so i think having two different signing days what we found is, I don't think we knew this was going to happen, but what we found is it doesn't really diminish uh, or, or water down the second signing day from an interest standpoint, and it only kind of ramps up that, that first signing period as well. And, and look, there's so many guys, particularly among the, the elite five-star, top 100 type prospects that are enrolling early these days anyways. The early signing period just kind of gives them a day 
and and allows them a spotlight. So uh, from a business standpoint, I mean, the, the early signing period's been a been a home run for 24-7. Well, that's good. I mean, because I did wonder if because I know from our standpoint – for news organizations like us who sort of only dip a toe in the water of recruiting, yeah. listen, you guys are the ones who are making out with your coverage and, and dominating coverage of recruiting, especially in and around signing day. For news organizations like us, because it comes up at a, a the first signing period comes up in December, you know, that's we have, you know, the, we're still covering bowl games right. and there's just a lot still going on where it's hard for us to command even. What even though we don't put as many resources as you do into it, it was hard for us to command a lot of resources to cover the early signing period, even the way we did the February signing period. At least in February, because it was just a more quiet time of the year in general. You passed the Super Bowl. Things in just in general in sports are a little more of a lull. We were able to commandeer a lot of our resources and at least focus it for a few days on recruiting. So I was wondering. If because it's in December and there's bowl games going on and maybe there's other thing there's a there's the NFL going on, if people just weren't as in tune to it. But it sounds like because of the traffic you're getting on the site, when it comes to recruiting, fans are still into it. You didn't even mention the Christmas shopping that's going on about that time of year too. Totally, I mean, yeah, just and that's pers- a huge you know, deal. Yeah, just, that's a huge ho- deal. Holiday season is not a small thing for that to be just plopped in the middle of and I think, I mean, you're right, and, and in a sense, it's. I think it put a pre, it's put a premium on our coverage and our expertise because, look, when it's in February, the season ends in early January, and sort of all the other sort of mainstream media, for lack of a better word, and and all the other casual fans have a a month basically to sort of bone up on what's going on in recruiting and and prepare for that signing day and kind of start to, to cover it uh, just as a as a side gig, you know. And, and so whereas that December signing period just kind of sneaks up on everybody and, and they're just – they're in the thick of bowl season, they're in the thick of Christmas season, NFL, whatever. And But but I think once that day comes and the LOIs come in and the ink is dry, people still want to know what's going on and, and, and where they stand. And so that's where I think there has been a value for us to be able to provide that as a an organization that really covers it year round, so look, like I said, we we had no idea really what the early signing period was going to mean for us, for the business, how it was going to look, who was going to sign, how many kids were going to sign, and now that we've gone through it two times now, I think it, it's pretty clear it's a good for the business, and and man, it, it is absolutely impactful and becoming the primary signing day. Right, because to get back to the business of actually signing players and, and what what teams are doing and what players are doing, all you have to do is go to 24-7 Sports and scroll down the top football recruits list and you see, well, that guy signed, that guy signed, that guy signed, that guy. Like, I mean, there's just not a lot of really what you would consider the blue chip. The bluest chips are right. mostly gone. But there's a handful of players out there that sort of are five stars, maybe not a little less than a handful, and there's certainly enough four stars. And ultimately, there are still a lot of good football players who have to decide where they're going to go. So let's start with that. Of the real five stars, high four yep. stars, who are the most intriguing players that are have not only not yet signed, but haven't yet even committed or given a hard commitment? Sure, yeah. I, mean, I, I think you know one of the primary ones, because there's always this – 
you know, as, as signing day approaches, it's sort of an annual ritual where we have this Alabama LSU battle, uh, often for a Louisiana kid. Alabama dipping into Louisiana, trying to take one out of LSU's backyard, and they've had some success with it. And um, the kid this year that that is that guy is Ishmael Sopcher, who's a 335-pound defensive lineman, uh, defensive tackle, who is has has long been, you know, at one point he was a five-star kind of guy, has sort of dipped uh, from a rankings perspective as others have caught him, but but still one of the top players in the state of Louisiana. And Ed Ogeron has made it such I mean, just just an an outward priority. I mean, he's he's made no secret of the fact that it is critical for him to lock up that state. And so, Alabama once again has a shot here at Ishmael Sopcher. Throughout the the fall, it looked like Alabama may end up landing him. But as as signing day approaches, LSU is sort of the momentum seems to be maybe back in LSU's corner here. He's got a brother named Rodney Sopcher who is a a junior college kid that LSU has offered. Alabama hasn't. Uh, so. That, that's one. Um, Georgia, Florida battling for a kid named Kair Elam, among others, uh, who's a cornerback out of the state of Florida. And then Alabama's in on another kid named Henry Toto, who's out of Northern California, De La Salle High School for folks that, that follow high school football, a, a national powerhouse. And um, it looked like Alabama was going to land him, uh, but Tosh Lupoy, uh, who was the lead recruiter out west and one of Alabama's ace recruiters is is obviously gone now to the Cleveland Browns and that that may have opened up the the door for Tennessee to potentially steal him uh, as well as as Utah and Washington and and Oregon out west trying to make a run so certainly some some intriguing battles and and you know like I mentioned there at the end I mean one factor that uh, sort of emerges in these January battles is is what's what's been the coaching carousel impact and and what assistants are gone and you know, we, we see that certainly in a lot of these as well um, as, as guys have to kind of recalibrate uh, and, and build some new relationships quickly. Well, let's jump. Let's stay on that topic then and jump to something that is uh, sort of where the the recruiting and transfer portal meet. Right. It's, yeah. uh, and uh, Brew McCoy, the five star wide receiver who went to USC, signed a letter. Went to class, which is a bad idea, by the way, if you're a football recruit who right. decides who changes their mind. Though I think he had already signed a letter, so I, I, don't, I don't think that would have necessarily mattered. If he hadn't signed a letter, going to class would have sort of triggered his being locked into USC. Anyway, when Cliff Kingsbury decides to no longer be the OC at USC after a few weeks and takes the Cardinals job, uh, McCoy decides that he doesn't really want to be at USC anymore, and he is already, I believe, enrolled at Texas. Now, his transfer situation will play out, and there might be waivers and things along those lines. He was released from his NLI, but this is the first time we've seen sort of, again, that like we've got these new transfer rules and the portal, and we've got the early signing period, but the early signing period happens well before most of the assistant coaches change jobs. And there are even a lot of, I mean, there are several head coaches this year even that, that switched after the early signing period. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's really the, the assistant coaches 
that we see the most movement after that December date for sure. So, you know, to a certain degree, I feel like this stuff happens all the time, but because we have these new rules, it's being highlighted. But is Brew McCoy something of a, a, a cautionary tale? Is it something that we should expect to see more of? These kids who decide that, hey, you know, I signed in December, but all of a sudden the coaching staff changed in January and I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and kids that are, are listening at home, uh, if, if you have any doubts, play hooky from school a couple days because you're right. I mean, that ultimately that is what triggers Brew McCoy because Brew McCoy signed an LOI in December. He just kept it quiet, made his commitments, and Clay Helton has let him out of his LOI, but and, and had he not gone to class, that would have been – all he needed to do, and now he'd be eligible and practice in the spring and ready to go in the fall for Texas. But because he went to class, he was enrolled, and, and now he has to await a waiver. Um, but this is – so last year we actually saw this happen twice. Um, Ale Cajo went to mm-hmm. sign with Washington, and he's a five-star linebacker and had some sort of – it was a little bit of a weird situation. Had some some kind of off field personal issues. Actually got up to Seattle in the summer, um, but didn't actually enroll in school. Backed out. Washington let him out of his LOI, and he enrolled at Alabama in the middle of the summer. Um, Josh Belk at Clemson last year, another mm-hmm. five star level guy, actually went through spring practice and decided he wanted to transfer back home. He actually got a waiver, was eligible to play at South Carolina, uh, and but this is the first time where this has all sort of happened in a very compact period of time. Early enrollee goes to Texas, or I'm sorry, goes to USC. And, and I, he was at the all American bowl and, and which was, which I was on the broadcast for. And one of the things I commented on with, with his decision when he announced to USC was big, big part of this big factor in this was the cliff Kingsbury hire kind of really gave him the, the edge over a Texas that did a really good job in his recruitment, et cetera, et cetera. Two days later, Cliff Kingsbury's gone. And so he went to, goes ahead and enrolls. And I think now th- this is sort of, and I talked about at the outset here about how it's great for business, the early signing period, but I don't think it's great for the kids. This is a big reason why. And you can roll your eyes if you want to and say, hey, you know, commit to the school, not the coach, and all that kind of rhetoric. But Ultimately, that's that's an important factor in this. And the, for guys at this level, these aren't guys going to play D3 football. These aren't guys going to play even Ivy League football. You know, these are guys going to play, in a lot of cases, with, with the expectation and the hope to play in the NFL and trying to put themselves as the best as to play in the NFL. And if you lose your offensive coordinator or if you go play for someone in a different system than you anticipated, that's a big deal. And that that, that is part of the the calculus to making your college football decision. And so this is just, I think the first of many examples of guys that are kind of being sold a bad bill of goods in terms of signing in the early signing period, playing in a totally different system or for a totally different coach and brew McCoy wasn't comfortable with it. And, uh, and we're going to see a lot of it where I'm actually, uh, when I get off this call with you, Ralph, I'm going to hop on with a few guys from 24 seven and we've got our transfer portal loaded up at 24-7, and, and we're going to start ranking transfers mm-hmm. because that's become a huge part of the evaluation of the roster-building process of roster management is not just signing recruiting classes, but now you better have a good grip on who the, the transfer, what the transfer market looks like 
and and be able to dip into that and utilize you know that sort of talent stream as well all right i'm going to take a little a quick break here for a commercial we will come back with barton simmons from 24 7 sports to talk a little more signing day and recruiting right after this And we're back with Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports to talk about next week's signing day. It's, it's actually the opening of a very long signing period, but pretty much, as you said, all the hay is mostly in the barn. Only about 20% of the kids, the best way to put it is only about 20% of the scholarships are left, right? Right. So when the early signing period closed, Alabama was number one with a bullet. Let's just take it from the top there. It, any chance anybody could catch up to Alabama at this point, or is that pretty much locked up as far as the recruiting title is concerned? It's pretty locked up because there's just there's not really enough, as we mentioned, five star type of guys to move the needle that would allow someone to climb up and 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 even allow Alabama to lose enough guys because so many of their guys are already signed and 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 locked up. So Georgia is is sitting at number two. Uh, Georgia could creep up there and get pretty close to where Alabama is in terms of our, our team ranking um, formula and, and, and the, the, the score that, that these teams are putting up. So Georgia could make it a close second, but that's about as, that's about as good as we're going to do in terms of a race for number one. We see a lot of news organizations that cover recruiting, and they rank their classes and their players in, in different ways or slightly different ways. Can you explain 24-7's process for ranking the classes? I can explain it in a very general sense. There, okay. You can go to our site, and right next to, you know, you go to our team rankings, and there it says 2019 football team rankings. And right next to it, in, in smaller letters, it says last updated on. And then there's a little information icon. You can click on that information icon and get the full mathematical breakdown about the Gaussian distribution formula and the uh, <laughs> standard deviation and all these sort of things that I'm not smart enough to, to articulate well. But, but basically, what it boils down to is we are rating and evaluating players and giving them individual player ratings. Um, that is fed into our 24-7 sports composite player ratings, which pull from the other industry leaders to, to give you an industry, basically, snapshot of what these guys are rated. We feel like that is a, uh, a good sort of industry-wide way of, of having a sense on who the best players in the country are. We certainly have our opinions and we believe strongly in them, um, but, but we also believe that it's, it's a good sort of unbiased way to, um, to, to, to articulate and indicate these rankings. Uh, and we plug those player ratings into our team rankings formula and each team your highest rated commit is going to count for roughly 100% uh, of, of his player rating. Second, 98, 95, 90. It sort of goes down the list like that to where your highest rated players count the most towards your formula. And that dwindles down to where your 20th rated commit or somewhere in that range is hardly counts at all towards your class. So that's a long way of saying uh, it's basically you're we're plugging in the player rankings into each team's team ranking to find out who the best class is. Yeah, and I think just for you know listeners who maybe read more of mainstream media like AP and will read our coverage, we tend to steer these days towards referencing the 24-7 recruiting rankings 
because of that composite element. Well, again, as you said, like you certainly have your own opinions and that's a big part of the formula. The idea that this is something of a consensus of the leaders in the industry is a place where I think for organizations like us uh, who are not committed to any one organization and rating process and doesn't do our own, I think we tend to feel better going that route where it gives in a a sort of a a larger tent look at these players and these rankings than it is towards going towards an ESPN or a rivals. Not that they don't have good formulations and good evaluations, but they're only going by their own. And 24-7 Sports brings in all of those plus its own. Right, which is exactly was a big motivation for us doing that is is we're not going to sit here and pretend like we're doing this all in a vacuum. You know, we understand that there's other... Uh, there, there's other network companies putting in major resources into this as well. And again, we, we believe our rankings are the best. I, I certainly do because I, I head them up. Um, but we also understand that they're going to see things we don't see. They're going to go to camps we're not at. They're going to have exposure to players that we may not. There are thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of, of high school football players out there, and we just can't see them all. And so we think it's a, it is an honest way to, go, to approach it, to, to give the user an opportunity to see really more of a consensus industry-based composite ranking. Okay, went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I thought it was worth explaining because, again, because a lot of my listeners might be different from the folks who generally uh, visit your website or who are sort of like dyed-in-the-wool recruiting fans. But let's sure. go back to let's go back to the rankings here for a second. Okay, Alabama's number one with a bullet, and Georgia has a chance to get close to Alabama but really not overtake. Is there any movement, significant movement, still left in the top or possible significant movement still left in the top ten? I think a couple of programs to keep an eye on that are still having a lot of activity. Really, probably this, if you go to our rankings, you kind of look through the 8 through 12 range. You got Oregon at 8, who's putting together their, their highest ranked recruiting class of all time under Mario Cristobal, uh, who they're, they're number one currently in the Pac-12 and, and are likely to finish that way. Um, they've still got uh, you know, some, some guys that they've got a real opportunity to land. You've got a little room left to, to make... Um, Possibly a move, jump above LSU, maybe get up there by, you know, maybe in that top five type of range. Um, also, Penn State at ten, they've only got twenty commits. They, they've they've got some room to work with and some some players teed up that that they've got a pretty good shot at landing. They could jump as high as in that sort of top six, top five range. There's still a chance they could land the number one class in the Big Ten. They're chasing Michigan for that, so like that's a an interesting race to watch. And then if you look at 11 and 12 there, Auburn and Florida, uh, Florida at 11, Auburn at 12, both of those programs, again, are, have some, some room to work and, and have a lot of sort of action out there. Uh, and, and I think both could make some, some climbs up there. So as I talk about all those, you know, the, uh, the Oregons, the Penn State, certainly Florida and Auburn, you know, some of those programs are sort of chasing some of the same guys. And so, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, one doing having success may, may cancel out the other. So uh, you'll see some shuffling among them. Florida State back at 16, I think, could make some moves as well. So certainly a lot of, of action kind of left out there, a lot of movement still possible, but it's sort of more in that, again, 5 to 15 range as opposed to that top five. Okay, who still has some serious work to do? Now, looking at the rankings, coming out of the early signing period, 
Florida State at 16 sounds pretty good, and USC at 17 sounds pretty good. Again, considering after the early signing period, those schools didn't look like their usual selves. Let's just put it that way. So let's talk a little bit about those two, but also talk about, in general, the schools that you think had the most most to accomplish from you know late December to early February. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you could talk about those as programs that did have a lot to accomplish because of what our expectations are for them. I mean, Florida State, I don't care they had a bad year this year. I mean, it's Florida State. And Willie Taggart came with the expectation uh, heaped on him that he's supposed to be able to recruit. And, and uh, he's been, it's a state he's got experience recruiting in. And so I think even at 16, you'd like to see Florida State finish on some of these guys here late and, and close strong because they, they really should be a top 10 class no matter what their record said last year. And the same can be said for USC. We actually, uh, Brew McCoy is no longer a commit for them, obviously, um, but we're not including him in, his, in their signing class either, even though he signed with the USC technically in December. Mm-hmm. Um, that move before the February signing period has, has put him in Texas's class for us. So, USC is is typically a late closer. This is not a USC prototypical class. Um, not quite the headliners that we're used to seeing, and now they're one five star short of what they would have been. Uh, I think USC is a is a program you'd like to see make some moves as well. I'm just not sure that they've got that much upward mobility this year as much as we're used to seeing. The the other programs I'd point to that do need to make a move, uh, Miami in particular. And I think they will. You know, um, Manny Diaz is was the right hire for them from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, that That's that's going to give them a chance. They're all the way down at 36 in the country. Uh, it, that, that's just a, that's a tough spot to be in for a Miami program that you just expect to recruit well. There's so much talent down there in their footprint. They got to be better than that. And, and this is... This is not going to cut it. So I think Miami's got to make some moves. And then I think an interesting one is UCLA. They're all the way down at 44. That's better than it was uh, you know, just a few weeks ago or, or around the early signing period. Uh, but it's been a little bit of a lackadaisical pace for Chip Kelly in his first full cycle um, on the recruiting trail. And, and you know, you just, you're sort of waiting for that urgency to hit. They've got some really good players, and they've got some guys I think they feel like they've out-evaluated others on. But it's going to be interesting to see whether that ranking creeps up because, you know, over the long haul, you can get away with a top 50 class if you're, you know, developing at a high level, evaluating at a high level. But if you're UCLA and you're, you're trying to compete for national championships, it, it's just that's just not sustainable to recruit at a top 50 level over uh, an extended period of time. Let me ask you something about, you talked about USC typically being a strong closer and UCLA sort of having a lackadaisical pace and maybe they could pick it up. Does that phenomena have anything to do with the way recruiting goes about in California? In other words, is, it, is there anything that plays into the way kids look at the process in California as they, uh, differently than maybe they do down south that plays Absolutely. into the slow nature of it? Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's no question. It's just a it's a totally different pace out west uh, in terms of recruiting. And I think part of that is, I mean, the SEC, the, the SEC footprint uh, is, I mean, that's really such a hot talent based area, talent rich area, I guess is a better word. And the SEC is is so uh, 
frenetic and, and so competitive in terms of the offers going out early and the commitments going early. And it's just a, it's just a totally different recruiting environment mm-hmm. in the SEC. And even in the Big Ten uh, of late, you know, with, uh, it really began with Urban Meyer's uh, arrival at Ohio State. But it, it, it sort of accelerated with Jim Harbaugh's arrival and then James Franklin. And now you got really aggressive recruiters like P.J. Fleck. And, and I think Jeff Brom has done a good job recruiting. And so it's getting increasingly competitive in the Big Ten as well. And so I just think that that creates an environment to where the pace, even an already accelerated pace, accelerates even more so on the East Coast. And then so it's it's just a different environment out west. The kids are a little bit less overexposed. The, the media doesn't cover it as, as heavily. The local media doesn't cover it as heavily out west. Kids aren't getting as many phone calls. It's just it's all a little bit slower out there from a recruiting standpoint. And and also for the kids that are they're going to recruit down west or down east, the, the, the kids that USC is going to pull out of, of Florida, those kids are, are probably going to commit a little bit later in the process to a USC. They might recruit, you know, the first offer they get from Florida State, but if a kid from Florida is going to go all the way to Southern California, it might take a little warming up. And so for all those reasons, uh, it, it's just a different environment from a recruiting standpoint out West. And, and that's part of why we don't ever really kind of sweat USC being lower in the rankings leading up to January. Uh, it's just, this is a little bit of a different feel to the class to where I, I don't know that we, we, we should expect a big furious finish where they land in the top five like we're used to seeing. Let's finish up with this, Barton, since most of the schools, because the majority of the classes are signed, most teams are already looking ahead to 2020. Now, generally speaking, even before we had an early signing period, a lot of the January-February recruiting was pointed towards 2020. You were babysitting your 2019s, so to speak, and using this year as an example, but you were already doing some heavy work towards 2020 and maybe even 2021. So let's look, let us look ahead to 2020. The early rankings already have Alabama near the top, but what are you looking at maybe as sort of a big-picture stories out of the 2020 class? Is it good in certain positions? Do you have certain teams that maybe are asserting themselves early early that would be a surprise are there certain players that we have to look out for that could be sort of the the next trevor lawrence type guys what are the sure. what are the early storylines for 2020 i think you touched on it and that there is a new emphasis on the younger classes with the, the the early signing period and there's less babysitting that has to go on but it's it's a big deal i mean it's a it's a total shift in mentality to where now january really is it's it's a it's it's an evaluation period more than anything else, and so coaches are on the road hard, looking and finding younger guys. In this case, twenty twenty guys, or recruiting them. Brian Brzee is the number one player in the country, according to us, and according to twenty four seven Sports Composite. Uh, he took a visit to Penn State a couple weeks ago. He took a visit to Clemson last weekend. I think last night, um, Kirby Smart and their entire Georgia staff was at one of his basketball games. He is already getting that five-star senior year treatment and and he's going to be a priority for a lot of programs so um it's interesting to watch it get rolling this quickly uh it the 2020 class is a really good class at the running back position uh kid named zachary evans out of houston leads the way there but there's some across the board there's several really good running backs kendall milton out of northern california is one um, and, uh, and then Jace McClellan is one out of Texas as well. who's already committed to Oklahoma. 
the quarterback position is is strong once again. Uh, and, and I think one of the interesting storylines at quarterback is, you know, we're sitting here looking at Trevor Lawrence and the the impact he's having at at Clemson and all the skill guys around him and and man, Clemson just looks like they're not going anywhere with with two more seasons of Trevor Lawrence. Well, the the number one 2020 quarterback in the country is out of Southern California, St. John Bosco, a kid named DJ Wangalele, 6'4", 240-pound kid, one of the strongest arms we've ever seen in the high school level. Uh, Right now, despite being a Southern California kid, he's a favorite to land at Clemson. (laughs) So if they can kind of bookend that Trevor Lawrence era with the DJ Wangalele era, we may just have to get here Dabo Sweeney talking about the Roy bus for another five or six years because they're, they're just not going anywhere. And, and across the board, the, I mean, Clemson, it's going to be more of the same of Clemson recruiting at a really high level, Alabama recruiting at a really high level, Georgia recruiting at a really high level. And now we've got, I think a really competitive setting in Texas with Texas A&M and Texas in the state of Texas. Um, and, and, you know, the big 10 is sort of wide open once again with, with urban Meyer, taking a step back so from a from a big picture standpoint I know you asked me specifically about 2020 but from a big picture standpoint I think we're entering or are currently in one of the most competitive eras of recruiting in terms of just so many programs doing it at a really high level uh it's getting a lot harder for for Nick Saban to just sort of dominate and 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 take you know take no prisoners on the recruiting standpoint it's going to be fun to watch some of these these battles shape up and and uh, and formulate. Barton Simmons is the scouting director for Twenty Four Seven. You can find his work there. I think you also can find you at uh, CBS Sports, right? A little bit. Yep. Yeah, that's where my college football stuff is at CBS. And then we've got the myself and Chip Patterson do a, a podcast with CBS called the Cover Three Podcast. So. Uh, you can kind of hit me on all three of those spots. Wonderful. Hey, listen, Barton, uh, I very much appreciate your time. Again, good luck with the bad weather down in Nashville. Good luck <laughs> with, you know, I, I again, I know it's probably not as busy as it used to be at this time of the year for you when you would have that, like, you know, you know, February, uh, first Wednesday in February uh, grind that you were, like, really, like, you know, chugging toward. But I also know you're busy now, so I appreciate you giving me a little time. No, of course. Thanks, Ralph. I appreciate you having me on, man. Now, three and out. First down. Most of the interesting players left in the transfer portal are not quarterbacks. Jalen Phillips, an outside linebacker slash defensive end who was a former five-star recruit at UCLA, is on the move and rumored to end up at Miami. Some team could end up with an immediate starter at offensive tackle with former Tennessee blue chipper Drew Richmond being on the move. Uh, Former Ohio State linebacker Keandre Jones could end up heading to Maryland. In fact, there's been reports already that that could be a done deal where he initially was committed as a stud high school recruit from in-state. Second down, something to keep an eye on with the so-called portal, which is just a database. You really don't have to call it a portal. Schools are not required to pull the scholarships of players that enter their names in the database, though they can. But recently, a Penn State player, defensive back Lamont Wade, who was a four, maybe five-star recruit out of high school, decided to pull his name out of the database and stay with the Nittany Lions. That's good news for them, but also an interesting move. 
What we're seeing is schools willing to let players explore the transfer market without actually transferring. Not sure if this is a good or bad thing, but it's definitely different. And I'm also not quite sure this is what the folks who came up with these new rules had in mind when they put them down on paper. Third down was doing some research on overtime games because it looks like the NCAA football rules committee is trying to find ways to end those marathon games like Texas and A&M played last season. Interesting tidbit. This past season, five games ended in the first overtime with a team attempting a two-point conversion. In the previous three seasons, there was a total of five games that ended that way. Seems that coaches are starting to see the value in, at times, putting the game on one play. Often the odds are better than simply extending the game, which has always been the faulty conventional wisdom. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.